Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Nightheart. You've reached Venus Unplugged. And what we do here is explore all aspects of the world and the archetype of Venus. And Venus represents not only our sense of beauty or what we appreciate or value as beauty, but it also represents relationship values, our aesthetics, what we consider personally worthwhile. So it allows us what it's an inner compass. And Venus, the that inner compass or archetype will give us um, what we personally value in order for us to become whole, who we are. So, so often in in the culture that we live in, uh, it's obviously big business to tell the feminine in men and in women what they should look like, what they should be, and and what what Venus is really like. But that's all... Other people's ideas. What's Venus about for you? You know, and and her sidekick or Eros, which is the god of the principle of relatedness. So what we've been exploring, as uh, as is my want, um, is the myth of uh, Persephone. Now Persephone is the child who's abducted into the underworld and her whole relationship and dynamic with Hades, the god of the underworld, and Demeter, her mother, uh, we're going to explore today and begin to understand what is... Now, all of these figures are figures within ourselves. So we are always at one level or another in some archetypal seizure or state and fairy tales and myths are ways of teaching these dynamics that sometimes just we just don't have a word for it or we just can't understand it but we know we're in the presence of it when it's like what does this mean or uh, is this good or is this bad which kind of reduces everything to its opposite. And what we are trying to do, particularly in terms of beauty and relationships and the world, is allowing the opposites to coexist, to be paradoxical, to not choose one over the other. And we are in our culture right now, we are hearing a lot of this is right and this is wrong, instead of, wait a second, what is the paradox? What is this world of our making? What is what, what's going on here? So Demeter, so the Persephone when she comes up from the underworld, she, her name changes to Persephone. But when she's abducted into the underworld, she goes down into the underworld as Kor, K O R E. So after Kor's abduction, uh, the myth uh, follows Demeter in her journey and her search for the lost child. So that would be the mother principle. Now, Demeter Lucia is the gentle and loving mother. She's not the dog mother yet. Oh, she does have her attitudes. Uh, And she um, and Demeter, on one level, are one and the same. 
because this is also the story of Virgin Mother and Crone, the, the, the triple goddess within and without. So her search for her lost child and the stage is Demeter's quest for that lost child. So her quest is and, and gives us a pattern for responding to the divine's child entrapment in the underworld. So that's your divine child, too. Aspects of ourselves that are caught in the collective unconscious, caught in the underworld. We can f- kind of feel that they're there or... We, we forget that they're there and we become our own abusers. So when we start to work with mythology and fairy tale, we're actually calling up these forces. They're always in our life, more active in some people's lives than others, but we all have a divine child. We all have a mother, um, whether we know it or not. So this is the loving mother that goes in search and wants to get her divine child from the underworld, from the collective unconscious, from and, and also from, you know, ruling from the unconscious, because then we really are clueless. Shit just happens. Instead of that, we are on a participation of, uh, of our own growth and evolution, which is more responsibility, but it's also more power. It's more authenticity. So before cause abduction, Demeter is she's portrayed as she's enormous. She's she's, she's goddess. You have to remember. I mean, she's just bigger than big. She's beyond superheroine. Okay, and she's portrayed as gentle and nurturing soul. Demeter is the principle that makes everything grow and everything is lush. And she's the goddess of the grain uh, and food and nourishment. And so that's her job here upon the earth is um, to make things grow. And she is, uh, before the, um, the abduction, she's rarely harsh to human beings. She's very loving, kind of the mother of the cornucopia. Um, uh, and she's only punitive only when, you know, really particularly evoked. She's not a punishing mother principle. And a, a lot of the times, which is also interesting, is when there is a punitive quality that comes up in her, very often, particularly women, are going to have uh, the punishments will involve food. So there can be anorexia and bulimia when that divine child is caught in the underworld and can't be related to. So these principles, these archetype forces, are the active ingredient in our unconscious and in the collective unconscious, and that's what consciousness is. Consciousness is, is becoming aware of what we don't no. Whatever we don't know about ourselves will return as fate. Now, sometimes that can be a, a wonderful gift that we have. And we didn't know that we have it. And one day we go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, let me just explore this. And suddenly you realize you have a real feel for it. 
And that's the, the positive side of the creation, okay? So when she is in her loving and nurturing and growing, think spring and summer and lush, that's all her cornucopia of life, right? She is Demeter Lucia, the nurturing one. Demeter is also innocent and then betrayed, mirroring Kor's experience. See, Demeter, uh, Stephanie's or Kor's father, is Zeus, Demeter's uh, sister. You know, of course, in the archetypal world, they can do this stuff. This is not to be tried at home, okay? So Demeter, she's innocent, and she mirrors Kor's experience. And Demeter, too, uh, is her brother's victim. Okay, now Hades, uh, the god of the underworld, Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon are all brothers. They were born from the Titans, they overthrew the Titans, and now this is the archetypal world, right? So there is this betrayal for Demeter also, because she's perfectly happy with her daughter. I'm uh, not paying too much attention to Zeus, who, you know, Zeus, he's really, he's Jupiter, and he's the, he um, really can be very, very generous, but he's also a bit of a cad. He's always running around and being unfaithful, and he seems to upset, you know, his wife is Hera, and, and she's constantly blaming other women in the world for his uh, paramours and his indiscretions. So he starts a lot of trouble. He heals a lot of trouble. And so we're caught in this family, what is familiar. You know, words are so important. And and when we start to really understand the root meaning of, of words, like with the Again, I don't know what this disconnect is, but I am going to continue because this is way too exciting. Okay. So he, she's in this. She's innocent. She's the innocent mother, uh, you know, just raising her daughter in this idyllic way. And, uh, and there, of course, there are aspects of one another, right? Now, when Kor disappears, Demeter, of course, freaks out. And she's searching frantically, and she's calling constantly, and she, without eating and drinking and resting for nine days. Now, we've listened to this broadcast enough to know that when those numbers come up, that is a huge hint or instruction. Nine is the number of completion. Nine is the number of the triple goddess. So when numbers appear in mythology or fairy tale, it's a very specific meaning, very often referring the task. So she's running around the earth, okay, and she's in absolute despair. 
Uh, because her daughter has been kidnapped and she cannot imagine. I mean, who kidnaps a goddess's daughter? You've got to be out of your mind. Well, it wasn't humanity, that's for sure. So she's dressed up in this deep mourning and appears old, not young and beautiful, as she, as she was before the abduction. I think everyone can relate to that when something has been taken from us. Something so precious, an aspect of herself, the divine child, is taken from us. We're not ready to go to the party, that's for sure. All right. And so she's suffering and she's going around the earth in this deep mourning and is, is tired and appears old and suffering. And on the tenth day, Demeter goes to Eleusis and is disguised, uh, and that's an area in Greece, the fields, and that's where the great mystery teachings. Now, the story of Demeter and Kor uh, are the initiation rites that are given every year, both for men and women, this journey into the underworld. So she's on the tenth day. She she goes there and she's disguised and she enters uh, into the life of a mortal family. So they don't realize she's a goddess because goddesses can shape shift, and particularly in our lives, when you're struggling with something, if you can stop for a moment and see, you know what what archetype is is activated or has been provoked. Or even more important, what uh, myth or fairy tale are we unconsciously living out? And then we can start to get the bones and start to understand, damn, this thing happens again and again. But then it has great meaning. So we were not at the suffering. We're kind of in in the thick of uh, the mythological world, which is very real and affects us humanity deeply. So they offer her human comforts for loss and grief and humor and useful work and companionship and understanding. And what she does, because she is a goddess, is there is a child and she tries to immortalize this child, this infant son of the house. But she fails because the mother comes in and wrecks everything. So when... It's when we're when we're missing something, when something has been taken, so which, which is an aspect of ourselves, right? We will try to rekindle it, but we can't. You see, she's a goddess, and uh, you know humans are terrified, uh, and rightfully so, of these archetypal forces. They're they're they forget we're human. We can get burned up. We can. You know, it's 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 a great task to be able to work with these and the necessary etiquette and respect that we need. You know, how do we address a god or a goddess? And she's the only god or goddess in the Greek pantheon to undergo mourning and loss as mortals do. And in her experience, she bridges the separate worlds of the human and the divine. That's an important image. 
the divine child is abducted her child core, uh, which means maiden is abducted into the underworld, and she, as mother, mourns. Usually, uh, that little, uh, you know, the gods and goddesses, they don't get that personally involved in the... I mean, they affect our world, but they don't get personally involved in uh, in the way of the world. But she does. So the psychological meaning of this, uh, the first stages of Demetrius' quest, is reunion with the divine child core. And the myth gives us a sense of kind of this movement through the experience of loss and betrayal. So that's one of its teachings. Yes, there is the necessary loss. Yes, there is the abduction uh, or what we would see as post-traumatic stress. A part of us is is wounded, particularly the, the parts in, in childhood, and it goes into the underworld. It goes into the collective unconscious. And it affects us for the rest of our lives. But if we go on the journey to restore and connect to this divine child who's innocent, by the way, completely and utterly innocent. It begins with mourning, and even the goddess mourns. So this movement, this experience, how do, how do, you know, how does one move through the realm of loss and betrayal? Now, on a deep psychological level, any betrayal is always an upgraded consciousness. I know. It doesn't sound fair. But it's not fair because it's not human. It's an upgrading consciousness because through a loss and through a betrayal, we've got to grow. It's always a call to grow. Or we're just going to be writhing around for the rest of our life in some bitter experience that had to happen anyway. The gods arranged it. When we say it's not fair, how could this happen? Believe me, there's some archetypal divinity uh, initiating you into growing. That's the ticket. Growing into who we are, to the potential of our soul and of our being. So her initial helplessness, and she's devastated and she's lonely, as we must be. When there is a loss, we're helpless and we're devastated and we're lonely. And 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 the search must be experienced. I'm not going to sit home and, you know, go on Facebook for our search. We need to search in forbidden places, unknown places. Or call for the help of of uh, strength within ourselves or strength around the world or strength... Above, you know, most people call on the divine when they need help, which is a good idea. So her loss of core and their shared betrayal and the acknowledgement of those nine days of total immersion into wandering grief. Wandering grief, you know, you're staggering and you're you're also wandering within within your own being, and you're thinking, I don't have the strength for this. I, and you keep on kind of coming up against your own inferiority, or or uh, 
not knowing or innocence or uselessness or having a clue. What the hell am I doing here? Same thing kind of happens when you're going to create something. We start in this kind of stage of we get excited, but there's also this uh, drop into the unknown because we're going to have to come up against borders that we never knew were there to bring the birth of the new image. So she's she's completely in this feeling, and and she's very much alone in this feeling. But she's not consumed forever. So there's a hint right there, too. So the both uh, facets of Demetra's intense loss and longing need to be experienced. And the immersion in the feeling and the reaching out. The feeling and the reaching out. And sometimes we reach out to heaven, sometimes we reach out to auspicious strangers, sometimes we reach out, you know, there's all sorts of ways that we reach out longing. Please help me. Give me a hint. And she was, so she reaches out and she's then, she's then accepted into this human household. And she's given a useful place and she offers service and she's accepted and eventually humor reaches her. Humor, laughter, is the one truly authentic human gift. It's a very powerful healing gift. That deep laughter at the heart of things and life. When we finally get the punchline and we laugh, it's turned into wisdom. Bitterness turned into wisdom. Now, when she begins to take nourishment, then she starts to awake to her anger. And these are all necessary aspects of her quest and the Demeter within us, the loving mother, uh, the the nurturing one. And they, they represent actual acts that one part of the self, that's with self with a capital S, must undertake in order to find the abducted divine child which is another part of the self the lost potential trapped in the underworld so often I see uh, the, 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 the suffering because in, in our humanness we don't realize that we need to become the loving mother to that wounded divine child and we reject it we don't realize it. We want somebody else to come along and take care of it. See, that happens a lot in relationships where they want the man to be the loving mother. He doesn't know what we're talking about. He can't do that. He's got his own boo-boo going on. Um, so to, to turn in the middle of our grief and longing, that's the call to search for the divine child. The innocent one, the part of us who didn't do anything. Now, most of the time, being humans, uh, we want to avoid this. We really want to avoid the full-bodied response of pain and longing for lost innocence. And denial of the betrayal itself is 
very, very common. Or in, in, And one of the ways we deny it is we blame the other. And I'm saying, you know, shit happens in something that, you know, we're completely innocent, but no matter what happens to us or has happened to us, we're responsible for uh, getting that divine child out of the uh, prison of, of the underworld. No one's going to come along and save, and if they do, they're going to save in their way, and it's another form of abduction. So we need to see, you know, and it starts a lot of times, people will do it in some type of therapy or some type of understanding or, or language, uh, like astrology or, or the esoteric sciences or myth or psychology. Psyche's logic. What the hell is going on here? That's what gives meaning. It's never a direct answer. So this fear, it's, it's not unreasonable to have this great terror. And it's very possible that we can become stuck at the, at, at the loss and at the experience and at the uh, anorexic response of refusion nourishment, both literally and in terms of food and metaphorically in terms of joy and connection. We get depressed. I'm depressed. I'm enraged. I, I, I just, I am going to just not take in nourishment. And then you'll see, everyone will suffer. Well, not really. Because it's our job to start to understand this. So the first stage of our journey reflects the descent into the underworld of primal loss. Some of us never get over the primal loss. And we're going to spend our life wandering. That's the only thing we know. But it's not the only thing that is there. So the wandering, and wandering is, is important. But so when we were identified with the victim, you know, it can continue wandering ceaselessly and calling for uh, that which is lost but never reaching out for the connection that's available in the here and the now. And in this state, a person may become saturated or just plain devastated, not just with their own helpless grief, but with the grief of the world as well. That's a very important statement, the grief of the world. Many, many people are wandering and in a deep state of grief these days. Where is the divine child? Where is the Savior? What is going to help us? We're around and around. We're being victimized by some type of uh, bully or something greater than, than we are, and we don't know how to, what attitude to take. Well, I suggest you go in search of your own divine child because while all this stuff is happening, you still have to get that divine child, which will be such a great sense of reality. So with a deep level of archetypal mourning, uh, you can turn you know, that individual or what is called individuation 
into kind of like a psychic sponge and, and you can be soaking up the suffering displayed on every street and in every newspaper. So we see all this grief and in our world. So we're wandering around looking for the beloved, that innocent part of us. Now, the wound, uh, the archetypal wound that everyone carries, everyone gets wounded, that's the wounded healer on one level or another. But when we realize this is the time uh, that in the morning for past losses and injuries, and sometimes we refuse to eat and we withdraw from the world. Now, that's an important stage, but we don't want to stay in that kind of hungry mouth stage because we're starving ourselves off and we're starving ourselves off from nurturing and we're we're constantly in, you know, what's going on in the world. We're starving ourselves off from joy. Yes, we need to be informed, but we don't have to suck all this stuff in. So we will continue uh, to um, look at this journey of Demeter and the lost innocence and the unfixable nature of past betrayals and the grief that naturally flows from the betrayals, we must consciously accept, not just unconsciously endure. And I think this is very important, particularly at this point in history, that we begin to know the suffering because it's been triggered globally, and then we are going to take that grief and we're going to accept it and not just endure it. There are we can do something about this. We can get that child up from the underworld. So here's to um, consciously awakening to the grief and the wound of that divine child and the great adventure and discovery of who you are and strength you didn't know that you had. Okay, till next week. Bye-bye.